Hi everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for this outstanding episode. Today is our special author interview with best-selling author Amanda Cabot. Prepare for another inspirational episode full of learning and laughter with new ideas for readers and writers. So buckle up, Buttercup, and enjoy this fun-filled bibliophile event with Writing Works Wonders. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Hey there, Kathy. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to be here. Isn't it wonderful? And I have a great co-host, too. She's the master of the universe. And so without further ado, I'll turn it back over to you, Kathy. Okay. <laughs> I have the great pleasure to introduce Amanda Cabot. Let me tell you about her. Amanda Cabot is the popular author of romance novels and trilogy series. She has a diverse background across nonfiction and fiction, as well as a wonderful, informative, and humorous perspective on writing. Amanda's books are listed as bestsellers in Amazon, Audible, and as most read in NLS Talking Books, Bard. In fact, she has over 25 listings in Bard. Amanda is widely acclaimed for her freestanding novels and her romance trilogy series. A few of her 36 trilogy titles include Cimarron Creek, Mesquite Springs, and Texas Crossroads. You might recognize a few of those. We're so very pleased to welcome Amanda Cabot to our show today. Hi, Amanda. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Well, I'm feeling very, very happy to be here with you and very honored. Thank you so much, both Cheryl and Kathy, for inviting me to join you. Thank you. I'm going to ask you a fun question first. If you could live anywhere for six months, somewhere different, anywhere, and write, where would that be? Well, actually, I'd rather stay right where I am. And the reason for that is that I have everything set up for writing right here. Since we moved to Cheyenne, this is the first time that I've had a dedicated office. It used to be guest room, office. I used to travel a lot, and so I wrote on airplanes, in hotels, you name it. So having an office with all of my materials right there, printers are hooked up and everything, works out to be perfect for me just because of the the kind of writer that I am, which is I'm very much a plotter and I need everything super organized. So I'd stay here in, which is Cheyenne, Wyoming. Kathy's back there saying, yay. I'm doing a happy dance, Amanda. (laughs) Happy dance, happy dance. (laughs) Kathy's our plotter. And you write trilogies, which is interesting. Why did you choose to write trilogies rather than longer series and what do you find as a benefit of that oh the answer to that's really simple my publisher has done extensive research and has discovered that trilogies are the right number of books that readers with very very few exceptions get tired after three books and even though they'll say well i want to know more about these people The reality is that if you do book four, five, and six in a series, they don't sell as well as the first three. I don't know why, but it's been my publisher's experience that three is the the correct number. And so when I propose things to them, it's for three books. And you have spinoffs from those trilogies sometimes? Yeah, <laughs> that's, okay. how I, that's how I get sneaky about it. <laughs> I, had, I had so many people who were intrigued by Thea, the young girl, I think she's like two or three, three, four years old, and Paper Roses, and they wanted to know more about her. So I finally gave her her own book. It took a long time, but her book is A Tender Hope the third of the Cimarron Creek books. 
where do you get your ideas? How do you cultivate your ideas for your stories? Well, ideas come from anywhere and everywhere. Um, (laughs) As I think every writer knows, you can sometimes think you're looking for an idea, but then you'll get something different. An example, and sometimes the ideas just come when you least expect it. Perfect example. Um, The year that my husband and I moved to Cheyenne was a new house. We had to unpack. We did landscaping. I mean, it was just constant work on the house. Fun, but tiring. And I said, we need time off. So we took a day trip to Fort Laramie, which is 100 miles from here, something like that. And all I expected was a day off. I absolutely loved Fort Laramie. I saw this picture of what the fort looked like during its final years. And it was nothing like what I thought a Western fort should look like. There wasn't a palisade wall around it. There weren't towers. I and mean, it didn't look at all like those TV Westerns that you see. Instead, the final years, there was a boardwalk, there were bird baths, there were women wearing rather nice clothes, carrying parasols to keep the sun off their heads. And that picture just stuck in my brain. And it wound up being the inspiration for Summer of Promise, the first of the Westward Wind books. I love the names that you've chosen for some of your trilogies there. Ah, <laughs> that makes sense. It's just an ah feelings. And I know people want to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it instead. Carol Mackey. <laughs> so now she's going to have to think of anyone. She always asks, what is your writing process? And then also, do you write every day? Let me start with a huge disclaimer. My writing process works for me. That doesn't mean that it works for anybody else. And the reason I'm saying that was years ago when I lived in New Jersey, two other authors and I were guest speakers, a fundraising luncheon, and we were asked to talk about our writing process. Well, I was the first one who spoke. And as I was describing my process, one of the other authors had this look of total horror on her face. She jumped up and she said, I don't know how anybody can write like that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So having said that, that's my disclaimer. And in fact, it's one of the things that leads to a point that I always like to make for writers, which is when you go to writers' workshops or you meet with other authors, and if they tell you, oh, this is the way to do it, you know, the one and only way to do it, the answer is no. The best way to do anything is the way that works for you. And you sometimes have to experiment to find it. Mm-hmm. So as I said before, I'm a plotter. I write a one-page synopsis, although in my case, since I'm always constrained and over word count, my one-page synopsis turns out to be a little bit more than one page. That's my selling tool to my publisher. Once they've approved it, I scribble notes about all of the scenes that I'm going to need in the book. And they're just in random order. Then I organize them and turn them into chapter outlines. So I create a chapter by chapter outline that tells me what scenes are going to be in each one. The reason that I do that is I want to make sure that I'm never that I don't go too long without bringing in a subplot or a secondary character. I mean, there's nothing like going 100 pages without mentioning a character, and then all of a sudden this person pops up and the reader goes, well, who was that? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want to do that to them. So I do this chapter-by-chapter outline. Then I start writing. I write my first draft, which I describe as the skeleton. It's those, it's like those skeletons you see at Halloween. It's pretty ugly, but it's the basis. I mean, you think about the human body needs a skeleton. Otherwise it's not there. I write that from beginning to end. I print it out. 
Then I do my second draft, which is my favorite part. This is where I put the flesh and, and bone, flesh and blood on this skeleton and turn it into something that looks like a person. Do that beginning to end. Then comes what I call the accessory stage. This is the makeup, the hair, the, the jewelry, the clothes. That's a much quicker process. It doesn't involve anywhere near as many changes as the second draft did. Again, I'm working on hard copy at this point. When I finish that, that used to be the end for me. But now I have discovered that it's really important to do, for me at any rate, to do a final read through on my computer. I catch things on the screen that I don't on the printed page. Uh, someone told me different parts of the brain are engaged. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But so that is my process. I write six days a week, typically only in the morning. Although there are times when if I'm feeling that I'm not going to make a deadline, I will work in the afternoon. But uh, normally it's in the morning. I like how you explained the process. When I say I'm a pantser, I am a plotter in ways that exactly like you just said. Kathy and I are getting ready to publish our second book and we're in that final stage and getting it edited, but how those little details come in at the end, that fourth stage. I appreciate that. Thank you. Kathy? Terrific. Thank you. I very much relate to what you described as your process, Amanda. makes total sense to me. Just <laughs> just validating you there. It's really helpful for our readers to hear our process as well. We have people in the Zoom room right now, not only authors, but we also have readers who are very fond and love your books. They enjoy hearing how we write. And so they think about that when they're reading your books in the future, and it really informs, they say that they read the author's books very differently now, they enjoy them, they understand what's behind it. So I know they'll be thinking about all the work that you've invested in creating these worlds for them. One of the things I'm thinking is you're talking about a first draft and a second draft. Uh, Some authors work in different drafts, some work only in different edits. Just give our audience an idea. How many drafts or edits do you think that you might go through for an individual book? Two main drafts. You know, it's the first one, the skeleton, and then the mm-hmm. flesh and blood one. And then the the polishing and then the newly added final read through, which is very, very minor changes. That's where, uh, for example, I caught a couple mistakes. I had somebody whose name was Doc Sheridan. And I had typed it in as Don Sheridan. So Mm -hmm. obviously I caught that at the end. But it's primarily two drafts. And the polishing, how many rounds of edits do you think that might be? That's one. One, okay. You've done a lot of forward thinking and planning to be able to write efficiently is what you're uh, describing, which is the way I think we as nonfiction writers, uh, Amanda came from the nonfiction world originally. And I think because we had a uh, constrained space that we had to learn not to overwrite and to be very focused. Would you say that has influenced your method? I think so. Yes. And the interesting thing is that writing fiction also influenced my nonfiction. Um, I tended to use analogies in nonfiction that mm-hmm other authors who were purely technical people. I mean, these were written for information technology professionals. It didn't, didn't do it. But I know some authors will work on one chapter and go through countless drafts on that until they're convinced that it's perfect, and then they go on to the next chapter. Mm-hmm. I don't work that way. And there's yep. a reason why I don't. There's a reason why... When I'm writing this first draft, which I tell you, it's a skeleton, it's kind of ugly, why I force myself to go all the way to the end. And that's because even though I thought that I had carefully, carefully plotted this book, when I get, and I thought I knew my characters really well, when I get to the end of that first draft, I know my characters a lot better than I did before. And sometimes they're different. 
Mm-hmm. If I had spent a lot of time polishing each chapter, I would have felt very invested in keeping them exactly the way it was. But when I get to the end of the first draft and I see that, hmm, yeah, here's here's something different, a new facet to that character that I want to add, then I can go back and put it in at appropriate places while I'm doing the second draft. Absolutely. Uh, I am nodding and nodding, totally agreeing with you. Yeah, it sounds like um, we we approach this very much the same way, Amanda. Thank you for articulating that for our audience and for us. You're talking about characters also. Readers love your characters. And we find that very often readers don't always understand what's involved in the development of them across our books. What have you found to be an effective way to track character and plot development? Do you have systems for that? Do you scratch that out on a, make a list? Do you have a little chart that you keep track of them? How do you remember that uh, Louise May has blue eyes and Shauna has green, you know, that sort of thing? Well, it used to be hit and miss, but I Mm -hmm. will say, since I've been writing for Ravel, one of the things that I have to turn in with, along with the manuscript, is a character chart. This is, has proven to be incredibly valuable for me, especially writing trilogies, because it allows me to make sure that everything's consistent and that my characters age properly. The character chart, I set it up as a table in Word. You could do it in a spreadsheet. I have rows and columns. I have the character's name their role, hero, heroine, or whatever, hair color, eye color, height, general characteristic. I mean, is the person very thin, very heavy? What distinguishing characteristics does this person have? A cleft chin, um, a scar on the face. I had a heroine who limped. Well, which leg was it? I put Mm -hmm. that on the chart. I also have a column where I list things like the character's horse's name, because, you know, I'm writing 19th century and people had horses. I want to make sure that I get this right. And that's been really useful for the continuity in the trilogies. And then, of course, in the spinoff things like Thea, taking her from Paper Roses to uh, A Tender Hope. You know, I had to age her appropriately, but she still had to look pretty much the same. And it had to be clear that this was the adult version of the little girl that that readers had read about years before. Excellent. That is just the kind of detail I was looking for. That really helps people because uh, readers who are not writers of fiction are, are not aware that we're doing that. And it just shines a light to the process. Thank you. What made you begin to offer writers workshops? How did that come about, Amanda? Well, part of it was, I guess, well, at one point, my career goal was to teach at the university level. That didn't Mm -hmm. work out for a number of reasons. But there's always been this idea, this thought in my mind, that it's important to share what you've learned and to help others along the way. I find at writers' conferences that I enjoy them a lot more if I am also doing the presenting because I've learned a lot of things the hard way over the years. I mean, I've been writing like, well, we'll just say forever. (laughs) And, you know, you make mistakes along the way, but if you learn from them and if you can figure out ways of helping others achieve their goals, one of the nicest compliments I ever received was at a New Jersey Romance Writers Conference. It was two years after I had done a workshop called Great Beginnings or How to Hook an Editor. And this was about the importance of your first page. A woman came up to me and said, I want to thank you so much for doing that workshop. I listened to what you said. I revised my manuscript and I sold my book to Harlequin. Wow. I was thrilled. I mean, absolutely thrilled because it meant that I had helped somebody reach her dream. I mean, what a great feeling. Absolutely. There must be a lot of teacher and mentor 
in you, my dear. Well, I do mentor a number of writers. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Final question for me. Uh, You described a little bit about how you run into situations that you incorporate into your your novels and your series. How do you conduct, what strategies do you use as you conduct research for your different novels and trilogies? How are you collecting that? How do you organize it? Mostly handwritten notes. I used to, and I, I still believe it's really important to have visited locations that I use in my books. Uh, Clearly, I visited Fort Laramie, and I have the two books set in Cheyenne. So yeah, I've been there, although not in the 19th century. But when I visit a location, I'm making notes, and not just mental notes, but written notes about what does it feel like here? You know, is the air thick? What's the breeze like? What kind of trees and plants are there? What do people eat? You know, what's the terrain like? And I I find all of that is very, very important in creating plausible settings. My Texas towns are all fictional, but they're based on the reality of what the Texas Hill Country is like. Excellent tips for us to think about. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chanel. First up, we have Jane Tolino. I am a writer. So which of your senses is the hardest perspective to write from? I just get it that visual writers are visual writers, and boy, there's a lot. Um, So I want to know about that for you. How do you move away from vision to other senses? The part about senses, I like to incorporate all of the senses in there. I happen to have, it's sort of a curse at times, uh, I have a very highly developed sense of smell. I smell things that other people don't, which is not always a good thing. And so I tend to write about what things smell like. I don't use touch as much as I probably should in terms of if people are touching a fabric, what does it feel like? In fact, I'm going to make myself a note to do more of that. But I try to use senses other than just what are they seeing, because obviously we process things with all of our senses. Next up is Abby Taylor. Hi, Amanda. I am actually in Sheridan, Wyoming. So we're almost neighbors, but not quite. So I read your book, uh, Christmas Roses. And I was drawn to this because it was set in eastern Wyoming. And I meant to Google eastern Wyoming to see if it actually exists or if it's fictional or not. And I'm just wondering, what prompted you to uh, create the setting for this particular book? Thank you. It's fictional, fictional town. And I had proposed a Christmas story that was a spinoff to my Texas Dreams series set in Texas. And my editor said, you know, we've really found that this doesn't work. You can try another setting. And so I said, Wyoming. And I went to a lecture at the State Museum, and it was about Hartville, which was a mining town. I think I've got the name right. And that was right about the time that I was trying to figure out where am I going to set this book. And that became the impetus for it, this mining town in eastern Wyoming. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much. And next up, we have Carol Mackey. Hi. <laughs> I have to laugh because I loved hearing your process. I'm How do you do it from the ground? And it's beyond me, frankly, probably because I write poetry. As something comes to me or an idea and I work from that, and usually write fairly short stuff. But my question also is, in that process, when you start, it sounded like you start and know, really have your whole, the whole book in your head already. I don't mean if, and you start from that, and then you can just go on. So does, and you all, but you also said, of course, that that as you get to know your character, it develops changes, they change, et cetera. But how, when you start out, how do you do that from the beginning, knowing what the end is? And and have you ever 
things have just gone to, if you forgive me, hell in a handbasket, and you ended up in a totally different place with a book. Well, I, I have never ended up in a totally different place, although things have certainly changed along the way. I write romance, so I know that there's going to be a happily ever after at the end. That's mm-hmm. the given. I tend to have the entire idea outlined before I start writing. I mean, I know, okay, here are going to be two characters. This is who she is. This is what her problem is. This is who he is and what his problem is. And then I'll have secondary characters and secondary plots. I believe very strongly in GMC, and that's not a uh, car manufacturer, goal motivation, and conflict. The goal being, what is it that this character wants most of all? Motivation is, why is that so important? And conflict is, what is keeping the character from reaching that goal? Now, there Mm. will be people who tell you that there's a big difference between internal goal motivation and conflict and external. I don't subscribe to that. I believe that you should have a single goal, that there may be a different conflict, internal and external, but that your character should want one thing and have one cohesive thing that he or she is working towards. That makes sense. And by the way, I admire you for writing poetry. It's something I could never (laughs) Uh, give it a try give it a try yeah well, thank you terribly. <laughs> no you wouldn't no you wouldn't you do well thanks thank you next up is kim amanda i'm so glad to hear that you are writing inspirational genre something you said i don't know if it was after we started the interview or before i was in the room 15 minutes before, but you had talked something about your goal is, did something happen in your book that helped somebody, changed their attitude about something? To me, that's that's like the ultimate goal if you're an inspirational writer, get the people some way a little bit closer to God. I just wanted to thank you for being an author that cares about making a good impression. Thank you for saying that, Kim. I appreciate it. And yes, I I wrote for the secular market for a long time. And I enjoyed those books, many aspects of them. But when I switched to the inspirational market, I realized this is where I had been led. This is what I was meant to do. I had said that I write books about the healing power of love. Well, the inspirational market also gives me the opportunity to write about the healing that comes from God's love for us. And I try to not do that in a heavy-handed way. I had readers back when I was writing for the secular market who said, you really ought to write for the inspirational one. And I said, I don't want to do that. They're too preachy. (laughs) So uh, the market has changed a lot. And as I said, I try not to be preachy, but there is the underlying theme that people have a higher power and that they answer to a higher power. Fran Sign. Hi, Amanda. I read every book that Bard has. I love your writing. And I so appreciate that you write inspirational books. I'm so tired of reading all the garbage in the other books. I don't need all that stuff. And I'm so happy that you don't include that in your books. And I recommend you to everybody I know. My girlfriends will say, what are you reading? Oh, I'm reading Amanda Cabin. Who's she? Oh, she's, she's really great. You really need to look her up. And so I tell all my friends who are looking for good books, I recommend you all the time. And thank you so much for being here and giving us the opportunity to meet you. And please keep writing. Well, thank you very much. With encouragement like that, of course I'll keep writing. (laughs) All right. Stephanie is up. Yes. The question is, what inspired you to write this book? 
Is your question what made me make the change from the secular market to the inspirational market? Yes. I can, I can tell you that. Um, it was 18 years ago. I, my husband and I had just moved to Cheyenne and I had retired from my day job. And a very, very dear friend of mine, who was actually a bridesmaid in my wedding, called me and said, I'm in the final stages of leukemia. Wasn't news either one of us wanted to hear. But her final months together, we talked about a lot of things. I mean, I'd known her for years and years, decades. But this was the time when we talked about what was really important. And what was really important was the way her faith was sustaining her. She knew she wasn't going to see her youngest child graduate from college. She would never hold her grandchildren. She'd never have things that, you know, she wasn't going to grow old with her husband. But she was facing death with a sense of peace. And it was so, I'm, I'm almost in tears talking about it. And it's been 18 years. Um, it was an a transformational time for me. It made me realize that I needed to write about this. I needed to write about people who were sustained by their faith. And I've never looked back since then. Thank you for sharing that. Next up, we have Amy. Hi, Amanda. I just have a quick question. It's actually a royalty question. Payment-wise, do you find it is better to for someone to buy the book through, say, an Amazon or to borrow through the library? What What is the uh, best for you? Well, for me personally, actual sales of books from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, give me the highest royalties. I do not believe that I get any royalties at all on things through Bard. Libraries, I get the royalty based on how many copies they buy. Or these days, a lot of libraries, including mine, are using Libby, which is an ebook. As someone who loves libraries, I can't discourage people from, you know, from doing it from a library. I'm just happy that you're reading my books and encouraging others to read them. Enough people are paying for the books that my publisher keeps buying more series from me. So that's good news. It is. Sean, you can unmute. This has just been so fascinating. I love inspirational fiction. I read that a lot. Do you have a favorite book or a favorite character? Mine? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, my favorite book... And, you know, we're really not supposed to admit this. This is like parents saying they have a favorite child. But my favorite book that I have written is the first of the Cimarron Creek series. It's called A Stolen Heart. And part of the reason that that was a favorite is that I had written a contemporary series right before it, the Texas Crossroads books, And while I enjoyed them, and they actually did very well, one of them got a starred review from Publishers Weekly, which is a big deal. When I came back to writing historicals, it was like, oh, yes, this is what I should be doing. I felt like coming home. So that book was special for me because it was my return to historicals. Thank you. If you could recommend one or two things, whether it's for people who are just starting out or experienced writers, some that are published, some are not, what would be your suggestion about writing, about hanging in there? How would you inspire other writers? Well, first of all, I would say read extensively. Read in the genre that you want to write in because it shows you what other authors are doing, gives you an idea of how plots are structured. Secondly, join a writer's group. No one understands what life is like as a writer better than other writers. And if you're writing fiction, I highly recommend finding a group that only 
writes fiction because, again, it's different. Those of us who've done both know it's different. Find good critique partners. And notice I said the word good. You need to trust your critique partner and you need people who will read your book. They're they're not even beta readers. I mean, it's before we get to beta reader time. Mm -hmm. These are the people who are going to read your stories and tell you, is this making sense? What you need are people who read in the genre that you're writing. I mean, if you are writing romantic suspense and your critique partners have never read one of those books, there's no way they can give you a valid critique of it. You also need critique partners who aren't going to try to change your style to theirs. I've seen so many critique groups that have destroyed a writer's voice by saying, well, this is how to structure a sentence. No, 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 you don't want that. That was much too long on that, but good critique partners. The most important thing is never give up. Rejection's a fact of life. I do a whole workshop on how to handle rejection, but don't give up. If you want to be a writer, if it's who you are rather than what you do, and there's a big difference there, You need to persist. You need to accept the fact that the first thing you write may not ever sell. The second thing may not ever sell. But don't give up faith in yourself. Just keep trying because that's where you'll meet your goals. Thank you, Amanda. Janelle? Yes, we actually have two hands. So, Dave, you may unmute. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. I've heard it said that subconsciously every author has a degree of autobiographism in their work. How do you stand on that? Is is there a part of you that you are subconsciously writing about? Maybe it's somebody you want to be or somebody you think about being or I don't know. What 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 are your thoughts on that? I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, And I think the reason there's so much truth is that as writers, we have biases. I mean, just as human beings, our past has shaped us in certain ways. It's changed our worldview. And that has to filter into what we're writing. One of the things that is really important to me is the feeling, and it's a quote from a very old Peter, Paul, and Mary song, It's justice will somehow prevail. And I couldn't get up in the morning if I didn't believe that. And so that filters into my writing. It's it's part of what makes me who I am. One more question. When I'm looking at what I'm writing, I use a program called JAWS that speaks what's on the screen. Do you think there's a difference between looking at what you're reading and listening to it read back to you? And if so, uh, what would be the benefits of each? Oh, I think there's probably a difference. I have heard, and I don't do this myself, but a lot of authors I know read their books aloud or use a program like the one that you mentioned, or even I think Word has a function in it that'll read it back to you because they want to hear it and they can catch missing words that way. It doesn't actually work very well. I haven't tried it, but I can tell you it wouldn't work terribly well for me because my hearing is well less than uh, perfect. And even with hearing aids, I need subtitling to watch movies. So for me, audio is not the best way of doing it, but I can see where it could be very helpful for others. I love listening, but especially when you have a lot of dialogue, you can you can hear the way the dialogue should flow. But when it comes to certain punctuation, that's where the, having a sighted editor is very helpful. Livy Ostergaard, you may unmute. Hi, Amanda. My question is, do you have a favorite inspiration writer that you've discovered or that it has inspired you? Well, that's changed over the years, but I'll tell you who I very much admire right now, and that's Jody Hedlund. Um, she writes in a variety of genres. She has pure historicals. Her latest series is Cowboy 
series, and I just read the third one of those, which is called To Tame a Cowboy, was outstanding. First book in the series was excellent. Second one was really good. This one was the best. But she also does other things. She did two time travel stories, which were amazing. They had contemporary times and then going back to medieval times. Um, So she's very versatile and she's also just a superb writer. I like her prose. I like her characters. I just like everything about her books. Thank you so much. And we're wondering if people want to get in touch with you. I know you are on Facebook. I love, I have to tell you, I love that stagecoach question. How exactly, let's just tell everybody, how did you exactly write that, word that? I was telling Kathy about it earlier, about what? writing on a stagecoach. Well, it was like, well, do you want to be inside or on top or inside? You know, and it was, this is a stagecoach yeah. that was in the, Cheyenne Frontier Days Parade. And, you know, you look at it and you think, oh, it must be fun to be sitting on top of the stagecoach. Well, the reality is those were the least desirable seats because stagecoach mm-hmm. is going through dusty territory. It could rain. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sun out here is very, very hot because we're at more than a mile above sea level. And so even though it, it looked like it was great to be on top, no, you really want to be inside the stage. Oh, did you put the word riding like R I D I N G? Yes. I picked the Ah, see if you I don't know if you read my response, but I yeah. heard writing W R I T I N G. Would you like to share with everyone how they can reach you if they want to get in touch with you? Everything you need to know is on my website. I call it my one-stop shopping. It has links to my email to my social media accounts. It has a sign-up form for my newsletters. It has information about each book. There is a section for writers that gives you links to various posts that I've done about various aspects of the writing process. And and there's even an FAQ section of things that you folks have done perfectly, including pronouncing my name properly, which, believe <laughs> it or not, doesn't always happen. Oh, I walked into the local Barnes & Noble once, introduced myself, and the announcement came over the, the PA system. Amanda Cabbage is waiting for you. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, you've done a great job on your website and highly recommend it to everyone. And it's amandacabot.com. Thank you. You have been wonderful and so gracious. Appreciate you for being here with us and sharing for so many years. We've all read your books and now have the opportunity to say thank you for bringing so much joy into our lives. Kathy? Amanda, do you want to share what's your next release that will be coming up? Okay. Um, First of all, thank you again for inviting me to be here. And I really appreciated uh, how many people are participating in this particular webinar. It was fun talking with all of you. My next release, which is coming out in March, is the first in a new series called Secrets of Sweetwater Crossing. The title is After the Shadows. I haven't posted it on my website yet, uh, revising my website, but within a month, I should have a new improved website, and that will include uh, information about the next book. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Next week's prompt. Today is National Celebration Day of Gummy Worms, Tapioca Pudding, Horses, and Fire. It's fire safety day, but we'll use some fire. So these are your words, tapioca pudding, gummy worms, horses, and fire. And 75 words or less. Let's see what we all come up with. Thank you again, Amanda. And I'm going to give it back to Kathy. Thank you, everyone, for making this such a wonderful show. Amanda, we greatly appreciate you and all our participants with their fabulous questions and for them to be able to talk with Amanda. This has been terrific to be part of today. Another amazing episode. And for our listeners, don't miss next Friday, July 22nd, for our summer 2022 open mic event. Yes, it's here. 
Everyone's welcome to attend and enjoy original works by our guest writers. Everyone can participate. If you'd like to share your work, please visit writingworkswonders.com and click sign up for the open mic. Alice, mm-hmm. you can unmute. There we go. Thank you, Chanel. And I just wanted to say I did in, enjoy hearing the author today, Amanda Cabot, but I mm-hmm. mostly want to say, Cheryl and Kathy, congratulations on the Vernon C. Henley Award. Just so happy that you received that award. I'm very excited for you and uh, heartfelt congratulations. Over. Thank you. Thank you you so much. Thank you. We are are just so excited and hope to have that opportunity that the recording will be made so that um, everybody can hear us saying thank you because it's because of all of you that we have writing works wonders and thank you alice thank you very much we really appreciate we'll be doing more announcements there'll be something coming out we're working on details with that we're very surprised and we we just want to make sure that other people are recognized as well we have an advisory board chanel is a big part of this and it's a community we do a lot of work but this wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for the people that meet together every week they you folks want this you encourage us you guide the programming and you Mm -hmm. help make this dynamic and interesting it's not just us and and we just we want to emphasize that as well yeah so Mm -hmm. thank you thank you can i read my (laughs) yes can i read my response to your um four words uh prompt for the uh golf the camel yeah okay golf ball i awakened Smelling newly mowed backyard grass under the stars. The whack. Soon, a round white golf ball sailed over the fence with the agility of a camel crossing the desert (laughs) and plumped down. I imagined myself laughing, but it emerged as a doggy pant. The chase was on. The end. (laughs) thank you Mm -hmm. lisa has her hand up okay lisa i just wanted to say congratulations to cheryl and kathy for their award that is absolutely phenomenal and you should be recognized by many more avenues and pathways and i'm glad you this was the start and they really recognize and they really recognize the work you do like broad spectrum and Mm -hmm. that it, it does take everybody that you, you, you know, you support everybody, but this is a moment that two of you need to just step back and say, ah, and receive. Yeah. You know, Chanel, you do a great job every week. It's phenomenal. You have great teams and people on these calls are amazing. And just remember, just take a moment for yourselves because Cheryl and Kathy, you put together magic. It is amazing what you do. And these interviews are phenomenal and insightful it's very, it's really wonderful. So just, just take a moment for yourselves because, you know, you're so good at giving to others. Just, you know, you just did such a phenomenal job already. And just thank you for all you do. And and thank you. Your, you know, your recognition goes far reaching than just this award, just by all the people who know you and get involved and really phenomenal. And I already did the prompt. I thought it was this week's prompt. Next week's prompt, I thought it was this week's and I already did it. (laughs) And and Diane Landy is asking if somebody can read hers. A designated reader. This is our opportunity. (laughs) Yep, it's under four words. It must be under four words. That's where Camel was. Diane Landy. And this was for the prompt. Use the words golf, camel, stars, and laughter. Retelling is when healing happens. Camels trudge through heat waves, rocking riders through time. Windswept dunes hypnotize, patters blur. Gronk's beastie bellow breaks the spell. His pain echoes mine. Sweaty blisters on my buttocks. Must be golf ball size now. Making camp. Bow-legged tourists hobble and groan. 
under a blanket of stars, retellings blow laughter across desert sands. Wow, is that vivid? <laughs> Let's okay. re- Linda always says we can read hers. Here's one from Linda okay. for the same prompt. Surprise. Hurry, your father will be home from his golf game. And then we're going to get your birthday surprise. Billy looked up from drawing stars with his new compass. The surprise was a camel ride at the zoo. Billy shrieked with laughter from his lofty perch. Look at me. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. Man, folks went in all sorts of directions with that one, huh? Uh, I got to write mine because I got the, the, the camels going to be watching people being silly on the golf course, following around. Ah. The way <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.